This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. God bless you. Please grab a seat. I want to add uh, to what Barry said a moment ago. We're thrilled that you're here this morning, especially if today is your first time with us. And I'm super excited about the Sunday evening option that's starting August 27th. And I want to say this, um, it's going to be like Sunday morning, but it's not going to be like Sunday morning. In fact, it's going to be an extremely unique gathering. I don't want to say a lot more, but I don't think you've ever seen anything like it. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you don't have kids fifth grade and younger, consider that Sunday evening option as we continue to grow and reach more and more people Uh, I think God's going to use it in a very special way, so you'll hear more about that as we get closer to August 27th. No C3 kids Sunday evenings, but Sunday mornings we'll have that, so if you've got kids fifth grade and younger, Sunday mornings are spot. If not, consider Sunday night. It's going to be freakazoid awesome, in all caps. We're flying through July, the summer, if you can't tell, the weather outside, it is crazy hot, and we're racing toward August, and I have sort of a love-hate relationship with August. I love August because my bride's birthday is in August, and that's awesome. I hate August because it's hot as Gehenna. Gehenna is the seventh level of hell, the hottest. And so it takes me back. I grew up in Texas. takes me back to two-a-days in football. Back in the day, if you played football, you practiced twice a day in August. And I don't know who was the brainchild that figured that out, but you practiced in the morning, you practiced in the afternoon. It was intensely hot. And all those years of playing football, middle school, high school, One of the things I noticed, we practiced the same stuff over and over again. Like when I was in eighth grade, we practiced tackling. When I was in 11th grade, we practiced tackling. When I was in eighth grade, we practiced blocking. When I was in 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, we practiced blocking. Coaches kind of take you over the basics. And if you want to be a winning team, if you want to have a championship kind of team, you've got to have the fundamentals down. And the same thing is true in life. If you want to live a championship kind of life, If you want to live your best life, the life God created you to live, we've got to get the fundamentals down. And part of my responsibility as pastor is is to push you and and walk alongside you, with you in the process, because I'm on the journey too, but to push you and to lead you sometimes to uncomfortable places. It's my desire to take us where we need to go, not where we want to go. And this morning as we're moving into James chapter 5, The Spirit of God working through James, the Bible inspired fully by God, written through human authors. We're coming into a a section where it's a little unique and it's a little different than the rest of the book of James. What's called the Old Testament in the Bible, history before Jesus, how God worked before Jesus came to earth. There are prophets, and we're familiar with those prophets. Prophets would speak for God, and God would give them a message to a particular people, and they would share that message, and they were bold. And sometimes it, it came across as harsh, and sometimes it was strong wording, but people needed to hear it. As we move into the New Testament, it covers the life of Jesus, then the life of the church, the birth of the church, different churches in different places, Ephesus, Colossae, different ch- things going on. There are only a few brief moments that it goes prophetic. And James does that as we move into chapter 5. The first six verses is more of a prophetic where he's going to address something. And to be honest with you, for many of you, it's going to stretch you you, and stress you. It's going to push you. But life is short. 
And one of the greatest desires of my life is that none of us miss what God has for us while we're here on earth. I want to push you, push me. I want, I want to lead us to be more than we've ever been, to live better than we've ever lived, and, and to leave our loved ones and the world a better place because we were here. If we move into chapter 5, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is going to say some very strong things, some hard things, to rich people. And some of you, the moment, the moment I say that, yeah, we're going to be talking about money a little bit, and the moment I talk about money or rich people, when you heard me say rich people, you're like, it's not me. But did you know, if your home has utilities, if you go to the bathroom on a toilet that's indoors, if you drive in a vehicle, you're in the top half percent of wealth on the globe. So actually, when he talks about rich people, it's you. The, the, the poorest in the room is still among the richest on planet Earth. And he's speaking to this issue from a unique context. James grew up poor. Jesus grew up poor. In fact, the home that James and Jesus were raised in with their parents and the other siblings, their entire home was about the size of one one car spot in the parking lot, the whole house. And so he feels what he's saying, inspired by God, but he feels the result of growing up not having much and looking at people that were blessed or people that had a lot that just lived for themselves. And so he's going to take a moment to speak to the rich, and he's going to say, you are persecuting, not assisting people in Christ followers. He, he speaks to those who are taking advantage of others in the first six verses. And before we dive in, a couple things you need to know. There are four different types of people. If we categorize people by money, there are four different types of people. There are people who love Jesus that are, that are crazy wealthy. Some of the most generous, some of the kindest, some of the most loving people I've ever known, God had blessed with resources, and they used that to make a significant difference in the world. So there are people that love God that are wealthy. There are also people that are wealthy that are ungodly. There are people that are poor that love God, that haven't grown bitter, that haven't become skeptical, that aren't jealous when somebody else gets something. And then there are people that are poor that are ungodly. The reality and part of what we're going to begin to discover is ultimately it doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. What matters is how you view it and how you use it, how you view it and how you use it. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, it's been called the book of wisdom, we read these words, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. There's this spiritual formula that God begins to lay out through the pages of Scripture, we find it right here as well, that's counterintuitive. It's different than how we think. It's opposite of how we think. God says, I'm going to do something beyond normal. I'm going to step into the supernatural. And he gives us this equation. If, if we want to live a life that's blessed financially, here's the equation. And part of it is, if you've been blessed, make sure you're generous. Make sure you lean into that. Because the person who does that gets more. It may not be more financially. It may be more blessings in other ways. But the person that hoards and holds and, and is restrictive with what they do, it gets worse for that person. These verses are written to people who are rich 
and in a sense called oppressors. Those who are using their resources for their own desires and they don't put God first. James chapter 5, verse 1. Here we go. Now listen. Now remember, if you've been with us for a few weeks over and over again throughout James, it's not uncommon for him to say, hey, hey, listen. Now listen. And it's almost as though in case the audience is drifting, those reading are drifting, he's bringing you back. This, this is an important point. This is something you want to get. This is a big deal to God. Now listen, you rich people. Who are the rich people? No, come on. Who are the rich people? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, we're in church. You've got to tell the truth. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. We have no hope. I'm going to pray and we'll go home. <laughs> I mean, did you read that? Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Is that what you got up and came to church for today? Like you're thinking, I need some encouragement. I'm going through something difficult. I need to hear from God about something. Man, I need to be, I need to be refreshed. I need God to fill me up and do something. I, I really need to sense his presence. And then we read, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. But what if what we're going to talk about today is the key that unlocks the door to opportunity for what you're walking through and what you're dealing with? Because before time began, God knew that you would be here, I would be here, and more important than that, he knew the verses we would cover. This isn't something where I woke up and thought, how do I annoy people today? I know, I'll talk about money. It's just the next section of verses in James. And we're rolling through the book of James verse by verse. Verse 2, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Now, the only way, the only way gold and silver would corrode in that culture in that day, if you're using gold and silver to pay for things, it's going to get worn, but it doesn't corrode. The way it corrodes is if it's put in a box or put in a trunk and hidden away somewhere in a closet and you're hoarding. And he's basically saying, you're hoarding your wealth. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. He's saying you're using what God has blessed you with. Only for you, primarily for yourself. Now, I believe if you look at Scripture, the best way to interpret Scripture is in the context of Scripture. And in the context of Scripture, God wants us to enjoy what He's blessed us with. There's nothing wrong with that. We're to do that. But we're not to make it our first pursuit and our first priority. We're not to put it above God. So, as a Christ follower, you and I have to understand those of you that know Jesus, we are blessed to be a blessing. How do you think God gets resources to His church? How do you think God gets resources to people in need? Through those he's blessed. So when you hoard for yourself, God actually says it's evil because your actions are actually creating a struggle for people. You're persecuting those in need because God has blessed you with an ability to meet that need, yet you refuse to. Not only were they hoarding, they were stealing from their employees. Look. Verse 4, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. He's speaking to those who have employees, and he's saying, you hire them to do a job, you don't pay them. And the lack of paying them, it's crying out to me. I've noticed, I'm aware, but it's deeper than that, and he goes further than that. He's not just speaking to those who steal from employees. He's speaking to a mindset and a thought pattern that we have so easily morphed into in our culture, and it is this. I want to figure out how to pay as little as possible in every scenario. We do that with our taxes. I'm a fan. I want to pay as little as possible. Like what they do with that and the waste. I, I, I would, you know, we have an obligation, 
to do that, but man, I want to pay as little as possible. But we also lay that over on other relationships, and we try to figure out, how do I pay as little as I can? How do I get out of this? What's the loophole here? Or we hire somebody to do something in our yard, and they they don't do it to our liking. I'm not paying you. You didn't do this and this. But the agreement was what they did. We have a kind of thinking, how do I pay as little as I can? The problem is we take that mindset and that thinking of pattern, and we lay it over on God. How do I give as little as possible? I've got all my excuses and all my reasons. I know the Bible says in the book of Malachi, Old Testament, that the first 10% of my income as a Christ follower, tithe is a mathematical term, it means 10%, belongs to the local church. I know Jesus in the book of Matthew endorsed what happens in Malachi and says, yes, that's how we're to function. But listen, you, you just don't know my situation. You don't know my circumstances. I can't do that. And we try to figure out how little can I do and still be called a Christ follower. How little can I do? I'm going to call myself a follower of Jesus, but I'm not going to follow all the teachings of Jesus. How little can I do? How can I follow enough of them that I'm still in and I'm still okay with God, but I'm not going to worry about the rest of them? If you do that, the Bible calls you a thief. And then notice, not only were they hoarding, not only were they stealing, they chased luxury over generosity. Verse 5, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You only think about you, you take care of you, and you're getting fat and sassy while there are people dying in their need. And you don't even care. You've become completely callous to it. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. People that aren't trying to hurt you, people that aren't coming against you, you don't even care that they're hurting or that they have needs that you could meet. And ultimately, he's saying, you think you've gotten away with something, but I've noticed everything. Remember how James began, beginning of chapter 5, a few moments ago we read it? He says, get ready. If you think like this, get ready. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. If you're holding your wealth, you think of you, you spend for you. If you're stealing, you, you're looking for ways to get out of paying what you owe. If you're chasing luxury, your first thought is not, I can't wait to invest in God's kingdom. You're busy building your own kingdom. He says, get ready. God sees, God knows, and misery is coming. What do I do with that? Why would God put this in the Bible? I mean, why why did they? Why are we looking at these verses? What is the point? I think the question that you owe it to yourself to ask, that I owe it to myself to ask, The question we need to be courageous enough to wrestle with is, how do we handle finances without being destroyed by them? Almost half of the parables Jesus taught were about our money and our stuff. Our God knows that we deal with financial things every single day. He knows the stress that it causes in your life, the impact that it has in your marriage, the pressure that it creates in your home as you try to figure out how to pay this and how to navigate that and the emergencies that pop up. We're always processing and thinking about our money, and God loves us so much and knows that we deal with that. He says, hey, I have a plan of how you're to function where you'll be in a place that is blessable, and I will partner with you. I'll be your protector. I'll be your provider. I'll take care of it. And so he lays that out. And in just a few moments, because my job, my responsibility, I would not be a good pastor, I would not be a good friend if I wasn't willing to say, hey, God loves you, 
And he has some expectations of you if you're a follower of Jesus. And that is that the first 10% of your income, he says, belongs to the local church. You bring it. You don't give it because it's not yours. It's his. You bring it to the local church. Now, before I go further, if you think there's any part of me that's trying to manipulate you, if you think my motivation is to get something from you, I don't want you to miss the way God wants, you to, to, wants to bless you. So I would encourage you that 10%, give it to another church. Find a Bible-believing church that's reaching people, that's making a difference, give it there. This is not about what I want from you. This is about what I want for you. And I wouldn't be a good friend or a good pastor if I didn't say, hey, here's what the Word of God says. But if, if you think I'm trying to monkey with you, because I understand some of you, you may be new here, you, you don't know me. And you have a bad church story. And if you grew up or spent any time in church, we've all got a bad church story. And I understand you don't know me. So my encouragement to you is obey what Scripture teaches. If you call yourself a Christ follower, follow the teachings of Jesus. But if you think I have some ulterior motive, give it somewhere else. I just don't want you to miss what God wants to do in your life. How, how do we handle it? What do we do with it? Paul writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich. Who's rich? Let's try one more time just for fun. <laughs> Command those who are rich. Who's rich? In this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. He says, don't be arrogant. Do not think, do not fall into the trap, the audacious trap of thinking you're a self-made person and you've created what you've got. Yeah, you've worked hard, no doubt. Props to you, respect to you. But who gave you the abilities you have? Who gave you the oxygen to fill your lungs every few seconds? Who gave you the gifts, the talents, the aptitude? That all comes from God. Every good thing you have comes from God. So don't be so arrogant to think you've created something. You worked hard. You did well with what God's given you. But ultimately, every good thing we have comes from God. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Did you see that? God wants you to enjoy what he provides. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what God provides. There's nothing wrong with, with using the resources God's blessed you with to enjoy life. But he continues, that's not the only purpose. Command them to do good. How? To be rich in good deeds. Tell me more. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Every person you and I will walk by tomorrow, they're breathing, but they may not be living. One of the saddest realities is there are people that go through this thing called life and never live. They just exist, responding and reacting moment by moment, to whatever comes their way. But he says right here, there's a way to experience what is truly life, to step into what is truly life. Last week, we talked about how this life, in the verses we looked at in James last week, is so brief compared to all of eternity. Because when you die, you don't die. You live forever somewhere. And everything we do here on earth is a resume for the rest of our lives. And this is 70 or 80 years, maybe 90 100 max, you don't want to be that wrinkled and that shriveled, but at some point, you're checking out and I'm checking out. And then we begin something called forever, 
that lasts much longer than this. And in this life, we're building our resume for the next life. And he speaks to it here. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Two simple steps. Two simple steps to handle our finances without letting them control us or destroy us. The first one is this. Don't put your trust in wealth. Don't put your trust in wealth. He says don't put your hope in wealth. That, wealth, that word hope can be translated trust. And I know people, you know people that really all of their certainty, all of their security, everything they base their life on is their income or what's in the bank or what's in the portfolio. And they hold on to that. And if you do that, listen, it can vanish in a moment. You're never secure if you build your security on your wealth because you can't control everything. It is wise to plan for your future. It's wise to plan financially for your future, but it is foolish to trust your money for your security because no matter how well you plan, no matter how wise you are, things can happen beyond your control. God offers to be our provider and our protector, but he only does that He only does that for people that put him first financially, that bring the first 10% to the local church. He loves everybody, but he only partners with, provides for, and protects those who actually trust him because it's not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. It's a trust issue. So our trust is to be in him. Our security comes from God, and God will walk with you every day of your life. He will walk with you through the blessings of the days of Abraham, and he'll walk with you through the pain of the days of Job. He'll be there moment by moment. And our focus is to be on him. We're to live for Jesus and to look, for, look to him, and he will carry us and take care of us through all of our ups and downs. How do we handle our finances without letting them control us or destroy us? Don't put your trust in wealth. And then the second one, live generously. Live generously. Would the people who know you the best call you generous? Parents, are you, are you raising your kids in a culture in your home of generosity or stinginess? Are you raising your kids and do you have an atmosphere in your home where the first thought when there's some sort of financial gain is, oh my gosh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Are you teaching them God comes first in every area? He's our protector. He's our provider. Notice 1 Timothy again. They put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. Command, not suggest, not offer, not optional. If you're a follower of Jesus, it means you follow the teachings of Jesus. Right here, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's how you live in generosity. You enjoy it and you do good with it. But there's there's this verse in Luke, Dr. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, very analytical, medical doctor, very deep in research and wanting to know all the facts and wanting to know all the angles of how does this work and how did this happen. Inspired by the Spirit of God, writing the Word of God in Luke, chapter 6, verse 38 says this, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. I think sometimes we see verses like that, and we find it hard to believe, because in America, we live in a culture of over-promise and under-deliver, 
I don't know that that's seen anywhere as much as in cereal. I don't know what your favorite cereal is or if you like cereal at all, but over-promise, under-deliver, that's a big box. That's a big box. That's a big promise. That looks like that's going to be pretty good. But then you open it. Before I get to any cereal, over-promise, under-deliver. And so I think sometimes we see sugary cereal is very sticky. I think sometimes we read verses. Notice the verse, give and it will be given to you. Maybe, we'll see. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I don't know. Will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. What God says is, here's what I want you to do. A lot of things in life have disappointed you. And and it feels like there's some empty promises that have been made to you. But if you'll give, here's what I'm going to do. Notice what the verse says. Give and it'll be given to you. A good measure. Press down. He says, I'm going to press it down. I'm going to make room for more. So press down. Shaken together. And then he says, I'm going to pour out so much. I'm going to fill up the empty spaces. And then press down. Shaken together. I'm just going to keep pouring. And I'm going to pour out so much, you you can't hold it all. That's the promise of God in our lives financially. That's what he offers. So why do we give? Why bother? Well, I'm a Christ follower, so I'm supposed to give. I give out of obedience. That's why I give. I'm just going to give because God says I'm supposed to. But when you do something out of obedience, it lacks passion. I'm going to give because I want a blessing. God's kind of like a genie in a bottle. I'm going to play. It's it's the spiritual lottery. I'm going to gamble with the fact that if I do this, then God's going to do that. I want to be blessed. And listen, I get it. That's not a bad motivation. I understand. Like, I want to be blessed. If I were to say, how many of you this morning want to say right now to God in church, God, I never want you to bless me. Raise your hand. Like, nobody's doing that. We want to be blessed. So being obedient, good thing. Wanting God to bless you, normal, nothing wrong with that. But that's not our highest reason for giving. Why do we give? We get out, give out of love. Every single thing you love costs you something. I love my kids. They're freaking expensive. Like, but, you know, I, I never had a moment when it's like, man, they're costing us a lot. Can we send one back? I, I've, I've, I've thought about sending them back over other issues, but not, not, not that, like, Everything you love costs you. I love my bride. And so I'm going to make investments in her and give her gifts and do things as I can and as I'm able because I love her. Some of you, you have a hobby that you love. Like you're going to invest. Everything you love costs you something. A few months ago, I decided, man, I I need to be healthy. This is ridiculous. And so I've made some investments. and I'm in the gym five or six days a week lifting weights, and it costs money for the membership and the the clothes because I go through clothes. It's like you're wringing a wet towel when I'm done. Like, it's rough. And I've even started started lately, I've started boxing because some of y'all are mean. And and so I've started started doing that, but, but that's an investment. It's an investment of time. Every single thing you love costs you something. Years ago... I was getting on a plane in Washington, D.C. The flight had been delayed. The flight had been delayed because there was a light bulb out. So if a light bulb's out on a plane, you're looking at three hours to fix that light bulb. So we're sitting there on the tarmac, and my phone rings. And Angie was trying to talk, and she was crying so hard. So Ashley was with her and got on the phone, and we had this um, real tiny Maltese. Angie named him. She, She named him. 
She named him Sugar Boy. It's hard for me every time I say that name. But apparently Sugar Boy had a medical emergency. They thought he was dying, and, and he was. So they took him to the overnight vet. The overnight vet, another way to say that is we're about to rob you. Because the overnight vet, you got no other options. Like, that's it. And so she's crying, and, and through Ashley, she, she's asking me this question, and, and, and she says this. She said, how much? And if you're a parent or you've ever had a pet, you know exactly what that question means. What's the limit? How much are we about to spend? I couldn't believe she asked that. The audacity, that, that, that little dog is dying. I mean, how could you be so callous? How could you be so harsh? How much? But really, I didn't think that at all because I had a number. I, I did. I was like, <laughs> all dogs go to heaven. We're good. <laughs> I guess a dog. We can get another one. They all bark. It's fine. <laughs> but I had a number, so I was like, okay. Because my love for that dog, I, I didn't love that dog as much as Angie did, but, but our love for that dog was limited. It's limited by we got a number if there's a problem. But if I'd gotten that call on that plane and it had been one of my kids, I don't have a number. Sell the house, sell the car, sell everything I've got, whatever it takes. Because my love is unlimited. Whatever it takes, whatever we have to do. And if I love my kids like that, how much more does God love people in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, on our teams, in our classrooms, in our families that are hurting and broken, that don't know what it is to know God in a personal way? They don't have hope. They don't have peace. And they're walking through hell. So, I know it's the middle of summer, and the timing might seem all off on that. You don't do things like this in the middle of summer, but God set the timing because these are the next verses we're rolling through. I need to ask you a question, an honest question, and I want to ask you to have the courage to answer it. Questions can be your best friend. Questions are powerful when we're willing to be very honest with the answer. And part of our struggle is the person we lie to the most is ourselves. But, but the question, have you put a limit on your love for God? Do you have a number? Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 says, Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Tithe is a mathematical term. simply means 10%. It's an exact number, 10%. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe. Now, tithe already means 10%. He doesn't have to stress that, but he knows how we think. How little can I do and still be okay with God? The whole tithe, all of the, the, all of 100% of the 10%, the whole tithe into the storehouse. 8% is not tithing, 5% is not tithing, the whole tithe. Storehouse representing the church, that there may be food in my house, Test me in this. The only place in all the Bible God says, test me. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. He says, test me. 
So I want to give you an opportunity to test God. Because here's the reality. (laughs) The reality is for a lot of us, this is challenging. Some of you are in this room and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm going to do this. The idea of tithing is hard for you. And if that's how you feel, please hear what I'm about to say. I understand that. I'm wired just like you. For years, even as a pastor, I fought this. I had my list of excuses. But he, the, the, I, I don't know if you're listening to me. Let me help. Let me help. Let me help. The reality is this. I don't want you to miss it. It's too good. God says, test me. Don't you want to know if God's a liar or not? How in the world do you think God's going to get you to heaven if he can't get you to your next paycheck? How in the world? Like, why bother even coming to church? Why would you think God can handle your problems or answer your prayers if he can't take care of what's pressing on you financially? And I've just discovered in my life, this has been hard for me, but I've got to be honest, in my life, it's not hard anymore because I've watched what God's done. It's awkward when I teach on this subject because people get funny when you talk about me. Like, I watch you. Some of you are like, I get it. But I'm willing to risk a moment of awkwardness because I don't want you to miss what God wants to do in your life. I don't want you to miss this. And here's one thing I've noticed about tithing. God says, test me. He's going to prove it to us. But I've often noticed over the years, a lot of people will say, I tried tithing. It didn't work. How long did you try it? Two weeks? You're not going to change your health if you do a diet. I'm sorry, it's not a diet. A new life plan for eating for two weeks. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. Fine. A lifestyle is more than two weeks. If you want to see benefit, the biblical pattern for success has always been consistency. But what I've noticed about not only does God say, test me, God will test the tithe. Because I've noticed a lot of times when we say, yes, I want to obey what God says. You do remember the Bible says we have an enemy. And the enemy is going to throw stuff at us. And in that moment, I've watched people start this and stop. No, no, no. It might get worse before it gets better, but God always keeps, God always keeps his word. Don't you want to know if you can trust him? I'm going to ask the ushers to pass out a card. I want everybody to get a card. Some of the team's going to help pass out pens. And while they're passing this out, I want to say a couple of things. If you're not a part of C3 or you're not a Christ follower, please don't feel any obligation to fill this out. But I want to encourage you. Remember I said my job is to push us, lead us together. I'm in it with you where we need to go. Today we are launching something called the 90-Day Tithing Challenge. And here's what that means. I'm taking the challenge with you. Our whole team is taking the challenge with you. If you're willing to say, yep, I'm going to do the 90-Day Tithing Challenge, it means for the next 90 days, I'm going to bring 10% of my gain to the local church, to C3. I'm going to be a part of the 90-day tithing challenge through C3. Now, if you think I'm trying to manipulate you and you're going to give somewhere else, you don't need to fill this out. But I want to encourage you to do this, whether you do it through C3 or another church. And by the way, the tithe only goes to the church. Well, I, I, help, I help United Way, and I helped it. That's not a tithe. The tithe goes to the church, first 10% to the church. And I want to encourage you, if you do this, and at the end of 90 days, we just read the verse in Malachi. That's Malachi. Some of you thought it was the Italian prophet Malachi. No, it's Malachi. He says, if you do this, I'm going to bless you like crazy. So at the end of 90 days, if you feel like God didn't bless me, you tell us, we will give you everything back you gave during the 90 days. No questions asked. 
Now, you got to do it at the end of the 90 days. Don't come back in five years. You don't even go to church anymore. It's like, hey, I want that money. I get No, no. At the end of 90 days, if you feel like God didn't bless you, let us know. No questions. We'll give it back. Because I understand something. For many of you, it feels like a risk. And we need to be in this with you as much as you're diving into it. Because I understand it's a hard step for a lot of you. 10%. Here's what that means. You might say, well, I'm... I'm in college and my job's college. I don't really have a steady income. What do I do? It just means you're saying, okay, 10% of whatever comes in my life, birthday money, whatever, 10% of any gain that comes into my life, I'm going to bring to the church. Some of you might say, I talked to a lady after the last service. She's like, I just lost my job. Let me ask you a question. What's 10% of zero? Zero. This isn't about feeling guilty. This isn't about trying to figure out, oh, what can I do? It's 10% of your income. And one of the things I love, I've been on a long journey. I've learned a lot from the Word of God. I've learned a lot from Angie. Angie, my bride, is a super generous person. But one of the things we've done, every time we sell a house, every time we sell some land, God has really blessed us with some real estate things. And every time we we bring over the 10%. So you're bragging? No, I'm leading. Because you have a right to expect me to do everything I'm asking you to do. And I've watched God bless that beyond anything I could ever imagine. And so I want to encourage you. Fill this out. If you're going to take the 90-day tithing chalice with us, why am I asking you to fill this out? Because me, our team, we want to be praying for you by name over the next 90 days. I want to hear from you if something's difficult or challenging. If there's a prayer request you have in that process, I want to know about it. We are with you. You matter. I don't want you to miss what God wants to do in your life. Well, what happens if I don't fill this out? I still love you. You're still fine. You're still welcome here. If you don't do this, I'm not mad at you. I do feel sorry for you because we just read the verses. And I know scripture teaches, and I've seen it in my life, I can live far better on 90% of my income, bringing the first 10% to the church, which God says is the hope of the world. I can live far better doing that with God's protection and provision than I can live on 100% of my income without God's provision and God saying that I'm robbing him. So I, I don't want you to miss this. Please fill this out completely, your name, your phone number, your email. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We filled out a card last week about serving. Yeah, 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 it's two-a-days. I'm going to push you to be who God's calling you to be. We're covering some of the basics. And at the bottom, you're going to check that box that says, I'm taking the 90-day tithing challenge. Some of you already tithe. Please still fill this out. I want to be able to pray for you. You're already tithing. You check that box. Some of you, you want to lean into generosity. Remember he said, how do you rob me? You rob me in tithes and offerings. It's not even considered generosity until it's over 10%. 10% is the expectation because it's not a money issue. It's a trust issue. God, I trust you. And so you may say, I'm already tithing. You're going to check. I'm tithing. I'm taking the nine-day tithing challenge. And beside that, you're going to put a plus or a cross, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to lean into generosity. And that's between you and God how much that is. The tithe, 10%, God sets the amount. Generosity, that's between you and God. It can be whatever he says. But I want to encourage you, don't miss this opportunity. Let this be a moment that creates a spiritual momentum in your life and bring consistency to it no matter what, and watch the faithfulness of God. And you got a 90-day money-back guarantee. So let me encourage you, dive in. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the reality of your love for every single person. Father, I pray for every person that's jumping into this 90-day tithing challenge that you would bless them, bless their family like crazy, that you would be true to your word, and we know you always are. I can't wait to hear of what you do in lives and families and circumstances. Father, use us to impact our city and this region in a profound way. Help us to bring hope to people that are hurting. 
more than we ever have because of the faithfulness of your people. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching with us this morning. If you would like to be a part of this life-changing movement and give, you can go to giveC3.cc or text C3 Orlando to 77977. And we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. And if you're in Central Florida, please join us Sunday mornings, 930 or 11 a.m. in person. Have a great week.